Really good to be here. Yeah, I am from the Vineyard Church, Delaware County. We're just north of Columbus, so if you, if you drive down 71, you get to Columbus, you missed us, so you'll need to turn around. Um, so hey, I got, I got here last night, um, and Evan took me out for dinner, and we had a good time. And uh, when they came to get the drink order, we ordered the same drink. And we're like, oh, cool, we got the same drink. And then when they came to get our food order, we ordered the same food. And it started to get a little weird at that point. Uh, and, <laughs> and right, we went over to Mitchell's, was that what it's called? Mitchell's Ice Cream and got some ice cream, which is really good. And we started to order the same ice cream. And we're like, nope, we got to stop now. Got to get different ice cream. Uh, and we realized this morning we were wearing the same hat. And this is just getting out of hand. And so, no, uh, it is a real, real honor to be up here. I love, I love this church. I, I was here about a year ago, and um, there's just really cool stuff happening here. Um, I, I, I kind of stalk you guys on Facebook. So, uh, but I, I love to see the ha- stuff that's happening on, on the healing on the streets and just all the ministries that you guys do and, you know, I've known Eben and Sarah for, I think, yeah, it's been almost 20 years now. And it's just, I love what they bring to, to the communities that they are, they're involved with. And you guys are just really blessed to have them here as your pastors. And I'm a little bit jealous. But yeah, so there's, there's a few of us back in, in Vineyard, Delaware County that pray for you guys regularly and check up on you guys. And it's just, it's just really cool stuff what's happening. So it's an honor for me to be here. This, this morning, or I guess, yeah, it's still morning, right? Yeah. Uh, so when, when Evan and Sarah asked me to come here and, and, and talk to you guys, uh, they said that they're going to be talking about a lot about identity over the past number of weeks. And I got really excited because identity is one of my favorite things to talk about because I really think it is at the core of pretty much everything that we do. Uh, there is a deep longing inside of every single human being on planet Earth to know who they are. There's, a, there's, this, there's this thing inside of each and every one of us to know that wants to know, why am I here? Like, who, who am I? You know, and people try to answer it through philosophy, through science, through religion, but everybody is trying to answer this question, why am I here? In fact, um, secular uh, psychology will say it is the core longing inside of every single person to know their identity, their identity. So I love that you guys as a church are talking about that. What is our identity? And the Bible actually has a, a lot to say about identity. And so you guys have been looking at the book of Ephesians a little bit, and about, about half of the book of Ephesians is all about identity, who we are. Paul tells us that, that this, this amazing truth that our identity is in Christ. And there's so much that we can pull out of that, uh, that, that reality that we are in Christ. But one of my favorite things about that is if you're anything like me, I try to get my identity from so many things. You know, throughout my life, I've tried to get my identity from the fact that I'm a musician or that I'm, 
you know, a, a husband or that I'm a father or that, you know, whatever it is, my identity is in this. But this scripture tells us that our identity is in Christ. And this is so important for us to know because a lot of times in the church we talk about Jesus being in, in us. We talk about the reality that we invite Jesus into our hearts and that he is, he is in us. And that is true. The Bible talks about this. But we don't talk a lot about that we are in him. He's invited us to be in him. And I think what's so important about this is that, so I go to Brazil about once a year. My brother lives down there. He's a missionary. And I go down there about once a year. And every time I'm down there, we will go on a boat and go onto the Amazon River. And I remember this past time I was down there, uh, we were in, there's, I don't know if, if anyone, I know Katie has, I know a few people have, been, have gone down to Brazil, but there's parts of the Amazon that feel like you're like on Lake Erie. It's crazy. It is so big. You can't see the other side. And we were on a, a part like that, and the, the, the captain, I couldn't think of the word captain, he put down the anchor, and I thought it was really strange because the water was completely still. And I wondered why he was putting the anchor down. So I asked him, I said, why, why are you putting the anchor down when the, when the water is still? And he said to me something that I thought was so profound. He said, still water is very deceptive. There's no such thing as still water. <clears throat> if you don't put an anchor down, you will drift. Even if it looks still, you will drift. And, what, and the same truth is, is true for us. That if we aren't anchored to something, our lives will drift. Our lives will, will, will be, you know, somewhere else before we know it. And here's the thing. We can anchor to something like our career or our bank statement or our family or all of these things. But here's the problem. All of those things will fade. None of those things are eternal. We will lose all of those things at some point. You know, you, you, someday you're going to lose your career. Someday you're, you're not taking your bank account with you to the other side. We need to be anchored to something eternal. And the last time I checked, the only thing in this world that doesn't shift, that doesn't change, is Jesus. So we can anchor to like a log or something like that, and we'll just, we'll just drift along with the log. But we need to be anchored to the one thing that stays solid. And here's why this is so important. If you want to know your identity, if, you're, if there's something in you that's asking that question, who am I? What am I made for? The only place you find that is in him. So if you're asking those questions, whether you're in a, you're, you're in a state now where you're facing a crossroads or you just, you just want to know more about who you are, what you're created to be, you find that out the more you get to know him. The only thing in the universe that, I love this, you know that one of the names of God is I am who I am. He's the only thing in the universe that can say that. Everything else has to say I am because you are. Isn't that cool? We need to be anchored to him. That's where we find out who we are. 
And I love how Ephesians, it talks about this positional thing, like we are in Christ. And it talks about this new identity that we have when we are in him. And it uses all this language, like we go from death to life. And we go from wrath to love. And we go from strangers to family and foreigners to citizens and, and darkness to light. All of these things that, of this, this new identity that we have in Christ. And whether we realize it or not. Some of us still identify with that old identity that we have. So this positional truth is whether we realize it or not. When God looks down and sees us, he doesn't see, you know, the thing that we think we identify. He sees his son, Jesus. Do you know that? It's amazing. It's amazing. And, and so Ephesians talks about this for about half of the book. And then it starts to switch a little bit in chapter 4, chapter 5, where it starts talking about, so if this is true, if this is who you are, if you went from darkness to light and all these things, then we need to start acting like it. We need to start making the most of our opportunities here on earth. And it's so important we don't flip that reality. It's so important that we don't get that backwards. So many times, if you're like me, what I do is I will do these things. I will act like I am in Christ so that I will be accepted in Christ. And that's backwards. That's not the way it is in Scripture. Scripture says that you are loved. You are accepted. You have have value. You are my son. You are my daughter, period. Now, let's act like it. And so many times, us as humans, we want to say, oh, in order to be loved by God, I need to do the right things. But that's backwards. I think it's so important that we realize that as followers of Jesus, that if we never act like it, if we constantly are just blowing it, you know, with one thing after another, we will still be in Christ and still be loved more than we can imagine by our Father in heaven. So we need to make the most of every opportunity while we're here because we are so loved. There's, there's, do you know that God is on this mission? There's this whole plan ever since the fall, ever since you know, we kind of blew it in the garden. God is on this mission to say, I'm going to make it right. I'm going to fix what, 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 what got kind of messed up in the garden. And he's inviting us to be a part of it. He's inviting us to, to, to join in. You know the, the, the Great Commission? Where it says to go out and make disciples, to go out and, and, and tell people about how much I love them and, do, and teach them all the things I've taught you. I love that it's called the commission. It's the co-mission. It was once Jesus' mission, and now it's the co-mission. He's invited us to come alongside with him and partner with him in restoring the world back to himself. So how do we do that? How do we do that? It's hard. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you guys can relate with me, but I have tried. I've been a Christian pretty much my whole life. I don't want to knock that over. I've been a Christian pretty much my whole life, and I've tried really hard to be a good Christian and to do the right things, but I don't do a very good job at it. So how do we do it then? How do we partner with God and what he is doing? And that's where I want to jump in. If we look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. If you have a Bible, you can open up, but it's going to be here on the screen too. It says, Therefore do not be foolish, 
but understand what the Lord's will is. Understand what you're called to do. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So a lot of us have heard this text. And I, like I said, I grew up in the church. So I grew up in youth groups. So I heard this text a lot. And the, the major takeaway from this, almost every time I heard it taught, was verse 18. Don't get drunk. Don't do it. And I think that's a good thing to take away from this. But I don't think it's the point. I don't think it's the point. It's not really talking about getting drunk, what it's talking about is what, what he says right after that. The key verse is right, right after, do not get drunk online, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Gordon Fee, who's, who's maybe my favorite theologian, he calls this the ultimate imperative. This, being filled with the Spirit, is at the core of who we are and what we do. We are called to be filled with the Spirit. It is vital that we understand this. It is crucial. It is the ultimate imperative. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit then? We're the vineyard, so we talk about stuff like this. I'm sure if you've been here for some time, you've heard things like, be filled with the Spirit, or, you know, Spirit, fill this place, or words like that, right? We've heard about, you know, live a Spirit-filled life. But what does that mean? And to be honest, it is confusing. It's weird. It's weird language. If you're new here this morning, I want to apologize, because this is weird. It is weird. And if you're not new, if you've been in the church for your whole, it's weird, right? Be filled with the Spirit. What does that mean? It's confusing. I think when people talk about living a spirit-filled life, they're typically talking about one of two different things. Usually if they say you need to live a spirit-filled life, they're saying you need to live a holy life. You need to, you know, make good decisions and, and you know, be, you know, live a life away from sin and live a spirit-filled life. Or what they mean is you need to live a life of, you know, casting out demons and, and praying for the sick and doing all these supernatural things. And, and while I think both of those things are part of what this is talking about, I don't think either of them really encompass what this means to be filled with the Spirit and to live a Spirit-filled life. Here's, a, here's, here's an interesting way of looking at it. If you substituted um, the word Spirit with something else, like if you said that someone was filled with anger, what would that mean? What would that mean if you said someone was filled with rage? It would mean that it consumed them. That that was what drove them. That was what really um, the driving force in their life. It's what, you know, their decisions were based off of their anger. Or if someone was filled with joy, it's, you know, the opposite. They're like, they're just so, you know, it was what consumed them. When you're around them, you just feel, feel the joy. It's what controls their life. It's what's the boss of their life almost. So what this verse is saying is let the Holy Spirit 
be the thing that controls you, it consumes you, which the driving force. Don't, don't let, you know, alcohol be the thing. And really, I honestly think you could take, you know, do not get drunk with wine and substitute it with just about anything. Like, don't let your career consume you. Don't let your, you know, 401k, don't let, uh, you know, your family. Like, it doesn't even have to be bad things. It could be really good things. Don't let that be the driving force of your life. Let the Spirit be what consumes you. This is an invitation for the Holy Spirit to be in control of your life. It's surrendering to him and saying, you are the boss. Here's what I love. The Greek word for filled that we see here, the Greek word is the word pleiru. Pleiru. And here's what's so cool. It means to fill or consume. It means to consume. But the really interesting part about this is the the tense of the verb. And I am not an, an English major or anything like that. My wife is, so she explained to me what all this meant. But the the tense of this is it's a present imperative. So hang with me. I know this is getting technical. Present imperative. What that basically means is it's not a one-time thing. It means over and over and over again. The the command, which this is a, a command to be filled, it means to be filled regularly over and over again. A lot of times in certain traditions and we talk about being filled with the Spirit. It's a one-time thing and you're done, you move on. But that's not what this is talking about. It's this, this ongoing, be filled regularly. And this is awesome. And to really grasp how amazing this is, and th- this would have rocked the worlds of the readers at the time. Because in the Old Testament, when, when you talked about being filled with the Holy Spirit, it was something that you talked about, but it was reserved for very special people. The only people who were ever filled with the Spirit were priests, prophets, and kings. No one else. And, the, and it was only for very specific times. It was a, a, a prophet would be filled with the Spirit and they would speak out against, you know, some nation or something. Or, or a king was filled with the Spirit and he would, you know, do something great. And then the Holy Spirit would leave. But what Paul, the author of Ephesians, is saying here is it's different now. That we can be filled, all of us can be filled with the Spirit. All of us are called to be filled with the Spirit. And it's not just for one you know, day and then it leaves. It's ongoing. It's ongoing. This is how we are called. This is the normal Christian life. To be filled with the Spirit regularly. The Holy Spirit is for all of us. And he, oh man, he is just waiting for us to, to, to let him do that. So many times we have it backwards. Like we feel like we have to go to him to get his Holy Spirit. Like we have to, you know, run to him and get, but he is like literally like just, I want to pour my spirit on you. Let me please. I love A.W. Tozer wrote this whole book about how we have it backwards. Usually we think about God pursuing man, but really, or man is pursuing God, but really God is pursuing us. God is pursuing us, and we just have to say, okay, uncle, I give up. 
He's just waiting for us to, to let him do his thing in our life. So then the next logical question then, who is the Holy Spirit? Who is he? And notice, I said who. I didn't say what is the Holy Spirit. Sometimes when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about him like he's the force, right? Or he's some weird energy that we need to tap into. But the Holy Spirit is a person that we can know, that wants to know us. And if we look through Scripture, Scripture, like, he's a very interesting person. I mean, he's very different than us, but he's a person that we can know. And if we look through Scripture, it lays out kind of his function, like what he does. What does he want to do? What does he want to do when he fills us? And, and you can kind of categorize it into these four categories of the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. And, and honestly, you know, the more you put him in a box, the more you realize that he's so other than, than what, we've, what we think. But really, if you look through Scripture, and if I look in my life, there are these four major categories that he wants to do. And the first one is he guides us. This is really important. Life is hard. It is so hard to know what you're supposed to be doing, right? Like you're faced with all these decisions. Not only that, like there are some really complicated issues. Like even like just the political climate right now, there's some complicated stuff. How do I how do I navigate these hard issues? How do, I, how do I deal with these personal things? How do I deal with a neighbor who just is really rude to my kids? I don't know. Should I take this job? Should I take this job that's offered to me or should I stick where I am? Should I, should I buy this house? Should I, you know, whatever it is. He guides us. It's the Holy Spirit who leads us through life. And he does it through so many ways. He does it primarily through, his, through Scripture, through his word. He illuminates things to us. He does it through the body. He does it through the church, like others can speak into our lives saying, you know, I think the Lord is calling you to go over here. And, you know, one of the, my, you know, the, my favorite ways that he does this is in, is in Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah is prophesying about what's going to happen one day when the Holy Spirit is for everybody, which is today. But he talks about how no longer will his words be written on tablets of stone. But his word will be written on our hearts and on our mind. I love that. I love that. His word is no longer just going to be chiseled into stone. It's going to be written into our hearts and our mind. And what that basically means is, have you ever, you know, been walking down the street or like walking at the store and someone walks by and you're just, you know, overcome with sadness for that person. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever experienced that or you just feel compassion towards someone that you don't know or, or maybe you do know? Not every emotion that you feel is your own. Think about that. Not everything that you feel in your heart is your own. Some of it is the Holy Spirit writing it on your heart. Or how about this? Have you ever woken up in the morning and you just started thinking about an old friend that you hadn't talked to for years? Then all of a sudden on your, you know, your Facebook messenger, like a little thing from him pops up or something like that. I don't know. Maybe that situation didn't exactly happen to you, but something like that. And you think, what a coincidence. 
maybe that thought of that person wasn't a coincidence. Not every thought that you have is your own. The Lord writes his word on our minds. He guides us. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to pray. I want you to go this way. I want you to do this. I want you to take this step. I want you to take a step back. I want you to stay still. He guides us. This is so important. And he can guide us. In, I mean, he could write something in a tow- like fire in the sky if you want. There's so many ways he could speak to us. But he guides us. And, and another thing that he does, and this one is really important, is he comforts us. This is one of the most common names for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is the Comforter. Isn't that beautiful? The Comforter. The Greek word for that is this word called uh, paraclete. And, w- and what it means is, is one who comforts or, or who, who comes alongside of someone else. When you're feeling downcast, when you're feeling sad, when you're grieving, when you're, you know, when you just feel like, I don't know what's going on, the Holy Spirit wants to come and comfort you and say, I got you. I'm here. I'm here for you. The, the other kind of meaning of this word paraclete is awesome, but it's, it was a legal term. It was basically, it meant uh, if you were facing trial, like if you're standing before a judge or a jury, a paraclete would be one who would plead your case for you. So, so for instance, like if, if Ben was, you know, if someone was like, Ben, you know, I saw him shoplifting, which maybe he did, guys. No, but if, if I, a paraclete would be like, no, I was with Ben. I was with, with him. I saw, we, were, we were over here. We weren't even in that store. I know who he is. He didn't do that. A paraclete was one who would plead the case of another. And the Holy Spirit wants to do that for you. Sometimes he even pleads your case to you. He says, I know what your father said about you. I know that your father said you were no good or you were the, you were the, the dumb kid or you, you weren't as smart as your sister. Or you, I know that, but that's not who you are. Or I know that the, your, your boss says you're this or I know that you know, society says this about you or I know that you tell yourself that you're this. But listen to who I say you are. You are my son. You are my daughter. I love you. The Holy Spirit pleads your case to you. Isn't that beautiful? The next one that uh, he does for us, it doesn't feel as beautiful. It's kind of a bummer. (laughs) But he convicts us. He convicts us. And depending on maybe you grew up in a church where that's the only thing that the Holy Spirit does. Or maybe you grew up in a church where it's like, convict. What what does that mean? But this is something he does, and, and this is a good thing. It is a beautiful thing. Like, if we really had a better understanding what, of what conviction was, we would love it. Because really, all it is, is it's saying, it's, it's our, our Heavenly Father come to, coming to us and saying, oh, this is not what I made you for. This is bad for you. Like, I'm, I'm a father. I have a little three-year-old named Olive, and she doesn't understand a lot of the things I do. Like, she doesn't understand why I say it's bad to eat uh, ice cream for dinner every night. 
that's, that's what conviction is. It's like, sweetheart, no, we can't eat ice cream tonight. We have to eat, you know, whatever, <laughs> like some vegetables. Or, no, honey, you can't run out on the ice because it's not that strong. And she doesn't understand it. She just feels like, that's mean daddy. And that's sometimes how we look at God. We look at God like he's this like cosmic killjoy saying, I don't want any of my followers to have fun. But that's not who he is. He's just like, I know what's best for you. I know that those things are harmful, even if you don't get it at this time. Because he, he, his ways are so much higher than our ways. He, we think, oh, but this is going to be good. This is going to be good. And he's like, no, I have better things for you. The next thing he wants to do is he empowers us. I love this one. He empowers us. So he guides us, he comforts us, he convicts us, and he empowers us. And this is where we get into the meat of what we're talking about, how we said, how do we do those things that he's calling us to do? Because we can't do them unless he empowers us to do them. I mean, we might be able to do them for a little bit, but whenever I try to do the Christian things without God's power, it just fails. It might work for a little bit, but I just get burnt out, or I just hurt people, or just all kinds of stuff happens that's not from the Lord. But he empowers us to do the things that he's calling us to do. He gives us strength. He gives us courage. He gives us wisdom. He gives us supernatural. He gives us the ability to heal the sick, to speak to situations and to you know, to say, you know, asthma, be gone, or, or cancer, be gone, or all. He gives us supernatural healing. He heals our bodies. He, he empowers us. I love that. He is calling us to partner with him and restoring the world back to how he created it. And he's calling us to partner with him and to do that. And, by, and, and for us to be able to do that, we need to be guided by him, comforted by him, convicted by him, and empowered by him. And here's the thing. We are people who are often obsessed with the big picture, right? Like most of us have heard like a pastor or a leader or a book or something like that say, God has a plan for your life. And it's true, he does, and that's biblical. He has a plan for your life, and we, we, but we become obsessed with it. We want to know what his plan is for our life. We want to know, you know, God, what is your five-year plan? Where do you see me in five years, Lord? And those kind of things, but that, he rarely operates that way. So my, my challenge to you, and my challenge really to myself, is that we need to be people that are, aren't constantly searching for his plan and more seeking his, his will for today. What is God calling you to do today? Where is he leading you today? What step does he want you to take now? Because before you know it, here's what ends up happening. It's a series of yeses turn into stepping into the plan he has for your life. It's like saying, okay, I'll say hi to my neighbor today. I'll do that. Okay, I'll maybe tell my neighbor that I, I go to that vineyard church down the road. 
Okay, I can, I can do this. And then before you know it, we are doing big things. We are doing the things that God has ordained us, that he created us to do. I know for me, it, this is how it always works in my life. I'm constantly, I remember there was, there was a point where I was bivocational, which means I had two jobs where 20 hours a week I worked for the church. I was a pastor for a church 20 hours, and the other 20 hours or so, which really ended up being like way more than 20 hours, I was working odd jobs. Like at this point, I was working for Starbucks, and uh I was really stressed out about the, the situation I was in. I was like, God, when am I going to be full-time pastor? Or, or, you know, what church am I going to be at? Or all these big questions. And I felt like over and over again, God was saying, be obedient today. Be obedient today. And I remember this situation. I was sitting and talking with my boss. And I'll call, I'll call him Joe. And he was an atheist. He was a very opinionated atheist. I, I would always tell people that he was an evangelical atheist. <laughs> Like, he would try to convince everyone else that they should be atheists, too. So we were sitting down one day, and he was, he was kind of closed off about what was going on in his personal life. And, but just kind of out of the blue, and this was very, very strange, and it made me think that maybe the Holy Spirit was doing something. He started talking to me about how he was having back problems, and that he started taking pain, uh, pain pills, and he was starting to become what he thought was addicted to the pain, pain pills, and he was feeling like super overwhelmed and didn't know what to do. And so, like a good pastor, I, I said, oh, that's, that's cool, man. See you later. Um, that's not, not true. But I did say, can I, can, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah, sure, like, like now. And this is where I did kind of drop the ball. I was like, well, I don't have to pay, pray for you now. Oh, I can pray for you at home. And he's like, yeah, go for it. And, you know, I left, and I got into my car, and I felt like the Holy Spirit said, Jay, what are you doing? Like, I want you to pray for him now. And I was like, I know, I know that's what you were saying, but <laughs> all right, I'll go back in. So I went back in. I said, Joe, can, can I actually, can I pray for you now? He was like, okay. Like, he, it wasn't a big deal. So I, and I just prayed, like, a real simple prayer, like, you know, God, I just pray that you, you just help Joe with this problem with the, the pain pills and his back. And just, I just pray that you show him how much you love him. And right when I said those words, he just started to cry. He started to cry. And, like, he was, you know, like, what did you do? And I was like, I, don't, I didn't do anything. I just prayed for you. And he's like, I don't know what just happened, but I want more of that. I want more of that. And now... He is, he's, like a, he's a follower of Jesus. He, he, and, it's, and it all comes from just me just doing something simple. Like, I didn't do anything amazing. I, I didn't, like, have this really amazing argument about why he should give his life to the Lord. And I didn't answer every question he had about, you know, why there's a sovereign God and why bad things happen to good. All I did was, hey, can I, can I love you? Can I help you experience God's love? I listened to what the Holy Spirit was doing in his life, and I said, can I, I want to partner along with that. Because here's what's cool. Do you know that there is not a person that you will encounter that the Holy Spirit isn't doing something with? The Holy Spirit is active in every person's life, and our job as followers of Jesus is to say, 
how can I bless what you're doing in Sally's life? How can I partner with you, Holy Spirit, in, in you know, Brian's life? That's our job, just to see what the Holy Spirit is doing and be obedient to that. God is calling us to be obedient today. And when we start saying yes to the small things, the big things start happening more and more. How can we make the most of what God has for us today? And so many times when we think about, like, yeah, I want to I start doing this. And we, we, we start doing things like, you know what, I'm going to start a ministry where I, I go to these, you know, these strangers over here and I start doing this. And most of the time what I think God wants us to do is start with the people who are already in our lives. Like maybe the person you sit next to at work or, or your neighbor or, or you know, uh, someone in, in one of your classes or whoever it is. Like actually saying hi to your neighbor when you're, you know, getting your, you're bringing your trash down. Like, that can be an amazing opportunity. Like, you never know what's going to happen just by saying, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust that you're doing something in this person's life, and I'm going to start trying to partner with that. So what's our response to the Holy Spirit? Our response to the Holy Spirit is, is, is three things. When he is, you know, doing those things in our life, when he's guiding us, when he's comforting us, when he's convicting us, when he's, when he's uh, what was the last one? Empowering us. Here are, the, here are the three things that we are called to do. And the first thing is super important. We are called to surrender to him. Like I said earlier, saying, uncle, I give up. You're the boss. I've been the boss far long enough, Lord, and I know where that's led. You're the boss. I surrender to you. I surrender to you. And the, the next thing that we do is we ask. Lord, what do you have for me? What do you want me to do today? There's this prayer I pray every morning where one thing is identity-based. Every morning I pray this prayer and I say, Lord, tell me who you say I am. Who do you say that I am? Because I know if I don't do that, I will try to get my identity from everybody else. I'll try to get my wife to communicate to me how good of a husband I am and how good of a father I am. Or I'll try to go to my church and be like, I'm a good pastor, right? Can you, can you, can you like feed me compliments, please? But if I don't go to the Lord for him to tell me who I am, I'm just, I'm like a leech. <laughs> so that's the first thing I do. And the second thing I do is I say, Lord, what do you have for me today? How can I advance your kingdom today? Open up opportunities for me to love people, to partner with you. We need to ask God to, to what do you want from me? Do you want me, is there an area of my life that you want me to submit to you? Is there an area of my life that's unhealthy? And finally, and this is key, this is so important, surrender, ask, and obey. We need to be obedient. We need to be obedient. You often hear people say things like, you know, we just need to stop, take a step back, and let the Holy Spirit do his thing. Or, you know, you just need to let go and let God. And there's some truth to that. There's definite truth in those things. But you know what I think is mostly true? 
is God is calling us to not just get out of the way, but to get involved. God wants to change the city of Cleveland. God wants to to bless your neighborhood. And the way he wants to do it is through you. I mean, his, the, uh, the church is his plan to save the world. Isn't that crazy? That's his plan to bless the world. It's us. I mean, sometimes he'll, like, sometimes he'll just do things without us, and he'll just you know, do something crazy and miraculous, but most of the time he wants to use us to, to, to bring hope to our communities, to bring peace to our communities. So we need to be obedient when he's leading us. I remember one time, I don't even remember what was going on. There was some horrible thing, going, like a tsunami or something happening or some political thing happening that was just horrible. And I remember praying this prayer that I said, God, how can you allow this to happen? How do you, how do you allow this to happen? I remember him so clearly said, JT, how are you allowing this stuff to happen? Because I have called you to do something about it. It was so convicting. Like the Lord wants us as the church to be a place of hope where we are going out and carrying out the, the, the hope of the Lord, restoring humanity back to God. When he guides us, when he says, this is where I want you to go, we can say, but I'm comfortable over here. When he says, I want you to go out and do this thing, you know, this, you know, this ministry or go talk to your neighbor or whatever, we can say, yeah, but Lord, I'm watching Netflix <laughs> or whatever. Or we can cooperate with him. We can say, okay, God, I'm going to be obedient to you. When he comforts us, when he says, that's not who you are. You are, you are my son. You are my daughter. We can say, no. I'm, I'm this. I'm, I am a failure. I'm going to believe that. Or we can partner with him and, and listen to who he says we are and agree with him and say, I might not feel this way, but I'm going to believe that, you, that I am this, that I am your son, that I am your daughter. And I'm going to say the thing that I feel in my heart that I am, I'm going to say that's a lie. When he's convicting us, when he's saying, I want you to knock that off, I want, you to give, I want you to give that you know, behavior up, that attitude up. We can say, but I like that behavior. I like that attitude, or I like how this makes me feel, or this will be way too big of a thing for me to give up. Or we can, we can trust that he is going to help us through it, and that we can listen to him and, and believe that he knows better than us. When he, can, when, when, when he comes to empower us, we can say, you know, Lord, I'll pray for that guy when I get home. Or we can be bold and step out and see our communities change. We think of, of, of spiritual people as people who can kind of sit and just watch the Lord do their work. Like a lot of times when I think of real spiritual people, I think of like these monks who like sit in silence for years or something, but and that that's probably really good. But you know what's Watchman Nee says: the spiritual man, the mind of the spiritual man, cooperates with the spirit. That a spiritual person is one who says yes to what the Holy Spirit is doing, whatever it is. 
It's, our, it's allowing ourselves to be filled with the Spirit and responding when He speaks. You know, one, one issue that I see with a lot of Spirit-filled churches is they become so inward-focused. It becomes this thing like of this, this, I've heard it called like a bless me club. Like, oh, come Holy Spirit, come fill this place up. And isn't this feel so good? This feels great. And there's, like, there's a time for that to just, just feel loved by the Lord. But we are, we are filled with the Spirit so we can partner with Him in what He's doing. We can't, just, we can't just hold it into ourselves. We need to be obedient when He says, Go. Because here's the key. This is, if we want to see our communities change, if you want to see Parma change, if you want to see Cleveland change, the key is not filling these seats up with people. The key is filling the people in this church up with the Spirit and, and sending them out. The key is not getting the community into church. It's getting the church into the community. If we want to see, you know, if we want to love on our city, if we want to see people set free from bondage, from set, set free from fear, from addiction, from racism, from all of these things, we need to be spirit-filled people who are breaking the chains, partnering with the Holy Spirit in what he is doing. That's the point of the scripture. Be filled with the Spirit. Don't, don't let your life be consumed with just, you know, what's, what's on TV tonight? I watch, I watch TV. I'm not saying that that's wrong. Don't be consumed with, like, just the mundane things of life. Be consumed with the Spirit. He's inviting us to the greatest adventure, the greatest story that's ever been told. He's inviting us to play a, a crucial part in it. And that's the most exciting thing in the world. Don't be consumed with alcohol or, or anything. Don't be just consumed with like your family. Be consumed with things of the kingdom. You know, the person who's taught me this the most is my wife. My wife is amazing. And she couldn't be here with us this, this week. And she's, she's at home with our daughter. But she is so good at just saying yes to the Holy Spirit day to day and just see so many amazing things happen just by saying yes to little things. Like uh, over Christmas, we are on our way to a Christmas party and my wife loves to bake. So she had a bunch of cupcakes that we were bringing to this party and we had to stop at this gas station to get gas. And I, I got out and I was pumping gas and she ran inside to get some gum or something. And she was in there for a really long time which made me think, like, something's happening. And uh, so she comes back out, and I'm still filling up the gas, and she grabs the cupcakes and goes back in. And this is just being honest. The first thing in my head was, great, we're going to have to get more cupcakes. <laughs> but uh, uh, so she goes and does it, and she comes back out, and uh, I was like, what, what just happened? She said, well, you know, I, I walked in there, and there was a lady behind the counter, and I was just overcome with sadness for like that thing that we were talking about earlier like just overcome with emotion for this this woman i felt like it was god getting me giving me a sense of how she feels so the holy spirit told me to go get the cupcakes and give them to her so she came she came out grabbed the cupcakes and brought them back in and said hey um i know this might be weird but 
uh, God just wants you to know how much he loves you and he wants you to have these cupcakes. And right as she said that, the woman just started bawling, like uncontrollably bawling. And apparently, like, the woman's uh, husband left her like six months ago. Her son just got diagnosed with cancer. Just everything was falling apart. She was filled with guilt because she had, like, used to go to church when she was a little kid and she didn't go anymore. And she was like, I just can't believe that God would send you to tell me how much he, he loves me. And all it took was giving her cupcakes. And we, I, I don't know what's happened to this woman, but this woman's life might be completely changed based off of just cupcakes. Who knows what will happen for you just to, to, to smile and wave at someone? Who knows? Who knows? God is calling us to be obedient in big things and small things and insignificant things and majorly significant things. And he's calling us to be obedient and let him be the one who makes it happen. You know what I mean? Like, we're so concerned, like, well, I don't understand. If I, if I do this, I don't understand what the fruit of that will be. Like, that doesn't matter. Just do it. He's calling you to do it. And we will see, so, we will see I promise you guys, if this church, and I know I'm preaching to the choir. I see what you guys do on Facebook. Like, you guys are people who are bringing the love of God into the city, and I love that. So why don't we stand? Why don't we end like this? I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill this place. And I'm getting the same sense um, this service that I did the last. I, I, I really believe that there are some people here who have believed lies about who they are. Um, particularly a couple. I, I see uh, the word failure like almost written above you. And the Lord is saying that banner is not my banner for you. That's not who you are. I don't know if it's failure in business or what, but I feel like God wants to erase that. And I also, when, when Eben was talking about fear, I, there, there are some people here today who are really wrestling with fear. And they, they, there's like real situations of why you are afraid. But God wants to say, like Eben was saying, that his perfect love casts out all fear. So we want to invite the Holy Spirit to do that. So if either of those things apply to you, can you raise your hand? If there are lies about yourself that you, you are believing or, or if, you are, if there are things in your life you're afraid of, can, can you raise your hand? Good. Now, if you are around those people, can you just lay your hand on their shoulder? Invite the Holy Spirit. This is not a time for us to necessarily counsel, but just invite the Holy Spirit to let him let him do what he's going to do. And for the rest of us, I just want to give us an opportunity to be filled. Remember, this is an uh, ongoing thing. It's, it, you may say, oh, I, I'm a spirit-filled Christian. But remember, it's, it's constantly being filled. So I want to just open our hands and, and be filled with the Spirit.